invite you to take a Bible and open to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. And may I say how glad I am to see you here today. I was kind of half wondering if anybody would come back after last week's message, so <laughs> glad, glad you're here. We are, we are definitely in one of the more challenging portions of God's Word But it's good that we are, because Jesus has some really important things to say in this portion of his word, and they are things that we really need to hear, especially given the culture that we live in. So this is is good for us, even if it's not always fun or comfortable. Um, Before we get into it, let's uh, take a minute, let's just pray and ask that God will give us ears to hear, that he will give us hearts to embrace his truth and believe it and live it. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you to ask you uh, that which you delight to do, which is to bring glory to your son, Jesus. Um, We ask that you would glorify Jesus in our minds and our hearts by just helping us appreciate him all the more today, uh, to listen to what he says, to hear him the way you want us to hear him, to love him, to trust him, to treasure him above all other treasures. And uh, Lord, we pray that you would just soften our hearts and uh, sharpen our minds. Help us get it, Lord. Uh, We need to get it. We need it uh, for our good. We need it for your glory. We pray you help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 27 through 30. Basically, we're going to be zeroing in on the first half of the passage that we sort of overviewed last week. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better for you that you should lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Jesus said He came to fulfill Scripture. He came to be the one who fulfills its promises and to be the one who explains to us, who tells us what it really means and how we are to obey it, how we are to carry it out. And he's doing that here with the seventh commandment, seventh of the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And again, if you don't know, adultery is when married people engage in sexual activity with someone other than their spouse. Now, the people he was speaking to all knew that adultery was wrong. They all knew it was a sin. 
He's speaking basically to Jews. They, they, they know their law. They know what it says. They know that adultery is wrong. It's a sin. It's contrary to God's law. Unfortunately, this is the unfortunate thing, many of them had gotten the idea that as long as they didn't actually go out and commit a physical act of adultery, that meant they were righteous. And that meant that they, they, they met God's standard. And just like Jesus did with the, the previous thing he talked about, about, you know, uh, you shall not murder, and people were thinking, well, as long as I don't kill anybody, then I'm righteous. I meet God's standard. Jesus says, no, 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 not so fast. God's standard's deeper than that. It's much deeper than that, and that's what he's saying here. It's not just what you do with your body that matters. It's what you do with your heart. It's what you do with your mind. It's what you do with your imagination. Jesus says that lust also violates God's standard. And lust, it's an inward thing. And we really, we need to take a minute here and, and seek to uh, define lust. Uh, because I think, you know, people have lots of different ideas about what that might mean. And it's easy to get kind of confused on this. So we, we need to go to Scripture. We need to get a biblical definition of this thing. Um, and I just want to first point out that what makes uh, a sexual desire lustful is not how strong it is, not how physical it is, not how exciting it is. Sometimes people think, well, lust, you know, that, that's really exciting, that's thrilling, you know. Just normal sex and marriage, that's, you know, that's not that great, but lust, man, that's exciting. Okay, it's not, it's not the excitement, it's not the, the intensity, it's not the physicalness of the desire that's the problem. Okay? Just because a desire is strong or physical or exciting doesn't make it wrong. We've really got to purge ourselves of this, this notion that somehow if it's, if it's fun and exciting, you know, it's a sin. That's not biblical at all. In fact, I mentioned this last time, but you've got the Song of Solomon, it's a whole book that talks a lot about very strong, very physical, very sensuous desires and experiences, and yet not one of those desires or experiences is sinful. It's, it's not lustful. See, what makes lust lustful is actually a lack of love. It's not the intensity of the desire, it's the lack of love. I want you to take a look with me at 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Okay, here Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And that's a very broad term that means any sexual activity outside of God's established boundaries of covenant marriage that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to control his own body, now here, in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay, now the thing to see here is how lust is the opposite of a sexuality that's marked by holiness and honor. Now, I want to quote here for a bit from John Piper because I think he does a wonderful job of explaining this, okay? He says, Do you see the contrast? In holiness and honor, 
not in the passion of lust. Sexual desire was meant to be governed or regulated or guided by two concerns. Honor toward the other person and holiness toward God. Lust is what sexual desire becomes when that honor and that holiness are missing from it. God established a relationship called marriage. In it, a man and a woman make a lifelong covenant to honor each other with faithfulness and love. Therefore, to say to another person, I want you to satisfy my sexual desire, but I do not want you as my covenant partner in marriage, basically means this. I want to use your body for my pleasure, but as a whole person, I don't want you. And that is dishonoring and therefore lustful. Lust is a sexual desire minus a commitment to honor the other person. But that's not all. The text says, in holiness, not in passion of lust. Well, holiness has to do with God, being being set apart for God. God created sexuality. He created it good and beautiful he created it for the good of his creatures. He alone, and I cannot stress this too much, he alone has the wisdom and the right to show us how to use it for his glory and for our good. Lust is what that sexual desire becomes when we disregard God and his concerns. So, putting it all together then, we can define Lust, biblically, like this. Lust is sexual desire that dishonors people and disregards God. Lust is sexual desire that dishonors people and disregards God. So then, if we treat people as things to gratify our sexual urges or our desire for romance or whatever, instead of treating them as persons to whom we should show love and respect. And if we ignore what God has said about about sex, about its boundaries, then we have become guilty of lust. Okay, Sexual desire that dishonors people disregards God. Now, see, so it's not just noticing that somebody's attractive. That in and of itself is not lust, noticing that somebody's attractive. It's, it's when we let our minds begin to regard them as things to gratify us instead of as people to be loved and respected according to God's standards, God's boundaries. You know, so if I'm in the mall and I'm walking down, you know, the aisle there and I go by Victoria's Secret, and there's this gigantic poster of a beautiful woman who is just not dressed nearly enough. (laughs) And I notice this picture, and I notice she's attractive, of course. That's why she's there. I probably have about a half a second or less to say, yes, she's attractive, but you know what? She is a person. She's a human being created in the image of God. She's a person who deserves 
who should be loved and respected according to God's design. And according to God's design, I do not have a right to look at her body and desire it. That desire is for my wife. So I can't regard her that way, even though Victoria's Secret and maybe the model herself want me to regard her that way. I can't. So very quickly, I've got to choose to avert my eyes. And maybe next time, I'm not coming down this far in the mall or something. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to doing what it takes here in a minute. A few minutes. Hey, have you heard the expression, eye candy? Have you heard that? You know, some attractive person, usually not wearing enough clothing, whose body, whose body we are being invited to stare at and to savor with our eyes. But frankly, whose mind and heart and all the rest of them, we are just going to ignore completely. People are not candy. People aren't candy. Even if they dress like it and act like it, they're not. And we cannot treat them like it if we belong to Jesus Christ. We can't do that. Because according to Jesus, lust, this desire that dishonors people and disregards God, this this violates God's righteous standard. And this is completely out of place for someone who trusts Him as King and seeks to live as He calls us to live. So, get this, if we're going to take Jesus seriously, we've got to get serious about resisting, about opposing, about fighting lust. Which is going to be completely countercultural. Completely countercultural. Because in our culture, not only is lust not frowned upon, it is celebrated, it is promoted, it is used to market just about everything. It is the atmosphere in which we live. And it's not always necessarily a visual thing, although that's huge in our culture, but it doesn't have to be. I think it's mainly that for most guys, but you can find lots of lust in romance novels and chick flicks that create these fantasy relationships, these fantasy people that have nothing whatever to do with God's good design for sexuality in a covenant of marriage. So, anything that appeals to our imaginations to pursue some kind of romantic or sexual thrill or satisfaction apart from God's good design is lustful. It's not okay with Jesus. And we have to resist it. We have to fight it. Which raises a huge question for us in our culture, this culture that we live in. We're just a part of it. This is our culture. We live in it. We can't help living in it. The question that comes to us, I think, from this passage is, um, are we taking this seriously? What would it look like if we did? What would it look like if we took Jesus seriously? 
Well, I want to give you a couple evidences or indicators that you're taking Jesus seriously on this topic that we are, okay? You're taking Jesus seriously on lust when you realize you have to fight it. You realize you have to fight it. In other words, you realize this battle is not optional. If you want to be a part of God's kingdom, the battle is not optional. You have to fight. You, you don't get to say, nah, this is too hard. This is too much trouble. I'm not going to worry about this. You know, because I prayed a prayer years and years and years ago. I asked Jesus into my heart, so I don't need to fight against lust. Wrong. Wrong. Would you notice how serious Jesus is about this? Read again what he says. Listen, I'm not trying to make a big deal out of this. I'm just pointing out that Jesus makes a big deal out of this. To put it bluntly, he says that those who refuse to fight lust wind up in hell. People who don't fight lust now, I'm not talking about necessarily if you've reached an age or a stage in your life where this is just never an issue, although I'm not sure that ever completely happens, that we ever get to a place where we're not tempted to treat people as objects for some kind of pleasure or gratification. I remember a guy who was asked by a younger man, you know, grandpa, whoever you were, whoever he was, when, when can I finally trust myself not to lust? And the grandpa said, son, I wouldn't trust myself to five minutes after I was dead. <laughs> but if it's a temptation that you're prone to, and I think that's 99.9% of us, people who don't fight it don't go to heaven. People who don't fight lust don't go to heaven. Now, right now, I know somebody's going to wonder, how can you possibly say that? Because you say all the time, all the time, that what makes us right with God is faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's, it's not keeping the rules. It's not, you know, uh, avoiding sin that makes us right with God. Okay, so let me be clear, very clear. Fighting lust Fighting any sin does not save us. It does not make us righteous. Only Jesus does that, and He does it by His grace when we put our trust in Him, rely on Him and His sacrifice, His resurrection for our sins. Okay, Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, through faith, through reliance on Christ. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Unmerited, undeserved, unearned. Jesus saves us. Fighting lust, fighting sin does not save us. But, the same faith that trusts Jesus for the forgiveness of sin will trust Him for the fighting of sin. The faith that trusts Jesus for the forgiveness of sin trusts Him for the fighting of sin. There is no such thing as a true believer in Jesus who doesn't have to fight sin. Fighting sin is not a substitute for faith. 
It is an evidence of faith. Faith that refuses to fight sin is not real faith. It's a counterfeit. It's it's really not that complicated. If you trust Jesus, if you rely on Him, not did you utter some specific words years and years and years ago, but do you trust Jesus? Do you rely on Him? Because if you do, then you will seek to do what He says. And He says, don't lust. Don't lust. Hate it. Resist it. Fight it. Because people who don't fight it go to hell. Now, I am not saying, I am not saying real Christians don't lust. I'm not saying real Christians don't fail. I'm not saying real Christians don't ever sin. Because that's just not true. Christians fail all the time. But a real Christian can never truthfully say, sin doesn't matter and I don't have to fight it. That's the point. Yeah, I don't have to fight it. Of course you do. Of course you do. Colossians 3, 5 and 6. Put to death. That sounds like a fight to me. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, greed. On account of these things, what? The wrath of God is coming. Jesus died to free us from God's wrath. He died to free us from sin. Of course we have to fight lust and whatever sins we're prone to. If there's no fight, there's no faith. And if there's no faith, there's no being a part of Jesus' kingdom. Now, here's my concern. Inevitably, the people who will be the most bothered by what I'm talking about are not the people who should be the most bothered by it. I'm not sure why this is the case. But the people who should be worried about their eternal destiny, based on what Jesus says, are those who are refusing to fight lust, don't think it's a big deal, because they've got some false notion of salvation that's like Teflon on them, and every time a warning comes from Scripture, it just slides right off. Well, it doesn't, it's not talking about me. Those are the people who should be worried. But inevitably, the people who are most bothered are not those people. It's the people who feel so defeated in their fight against lust. And they think they must not really be saved because they try and they fail. And they try and they fail. And they try and they fail and they start thinking, I'm just going to give up because I can't win. And I want to say, if that describes you today, do not believe that lie. Don't believe that lie. You can win. In fact, the very fact that you're fighting is a win. If you're fighting, that's a win. If it were not for the grace of God in your life, you wouldn't fight. Now today, I hope you will hear something that will help you fight better, more effectively, but even if you don't, keep fighting. You just keep trusting in Jesus. You keep trusting in His grace to forgive you and to change you. Look, put your hope in Him. Don't put your hope in how hard you fight. Don't put your hope in how effective your fight is. Put your hope in Christ and His grace. Trust Him. 
But you do have to fight. So that's one evidence. You realize you have to fight. And then the second one, you are taking Jesus seriously on lust when you're willing to do whatever it takes to win. There's a lot of things in life that I'm willing to do a little bit, you know, to accomplish something. But there aren't that many things where I feel like, yeah, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. Those are the important things. Those are the priorities. Well, when it comes to winning this fight, we've got to be willing to do whatever it takes to win. There's just no getting around it. Jesus' words here in 29 and 30 are extreme. Did you notice? Better to gouge out an eye, better to cut off a hand than wind up in hell. That's extreme. Why would Jesus say this? Especially when we know that if you gouge out one eye, you can still lust with the other one. Or if you cut off one hand, you can still sin with the other hand. Physical mutilation will not solve the problem. And Jesus knows that. He knows that. So why does he say it? To get our attention? To wake us up from casual attitudes towards sin? To help us realize how desperately we need His grace? To scare the hell out of us? Literally? This is serious, Jesus is saying. This is, ser- this is life and death. This is heaven or hell. Fight it or perish. And if you fight it, you might have to get drastic. See, gouging out an eye, cutting off a hand, man, that, that represents an unthinkable act. You just can't even imagine yourself doing it. Why not? Well, because you value those things too much. So what Jesus is saying is, value sexual purity even more. Value winning the fight against lust and immorality even more. Value being a part of the kingdom of God even more than you value the most precious parts of your own body. Do what you have to do to win. say, well, how drastic do we have to be? That's kind of the wrong question, really. The question isn't how drastic do we have to, uh, have to be. The, the question is how drastic do we need to be to win? You know, maybe I'm sitting there with my family and we're watching TV and then something comes on TV that's just not good. It's, it's lustful, okay? Is it drastic to change the channel? Might be. Is it drastic to turn the TV off? Is it drastic to uh, cancel cable because some of the shows that are on here are too tempting? Do I need to throw away the book, the magazine, cancel the subscription to Sports Illustrated because of the stupid swimsuit edition that comes out every year? Not watch the music video that everybody else is watching and talking about because Miley Cyrus is naked? Some say, well, that's kind of extreme, isn't it? 
Yeah. Isn't Jesus telling us to be extreme? I'm not telling you what you need to do. I'm just asking, what do you have to do to win? What do you have to win to protect yourself? What do you have to do to protect your family from the soul-corroding influence of lust that is everywhere? It's everywhere. See, that's part of the problem is we, just, we, don't, we stop seeing it because it's everywhere. We're so used to it. What do we need to do to win? Some of you, guys in particular, you, you may need to go on an absolute complete fast from the Internet because you just can't get on it without blowing it. You know, you can't seem to stay away from those things you shouldn't see. And it's tough. Because those who promote lust, those who profit from lust, they're pretty smart. They want to get your attention, and they, they're really good at doing it. And you keep failing. Well, okay, maybe you need to do something drastic. Get off. Or at least don't go on without somebody holding you accountable. See, if you're serious about what Jesus says, if I'm serious about what Jesus says, we'll do what we have to do to win. So what I want to do here is finish up with just some thoughts on how to fight the fight and how to win the battle. And here's the really crucial thing to remember in all of this. Okay, The crucial thing to remember is what this Sermon on the Mount stresses over and over and over again. Your only hope for righteousness is Jesus. He's your only hope. Only Jesus can make you right with God. Only Jesus can enable you to live a life that's right with God. This is all about relying on Him. You say, well, what does relying on Him look like? Well, it looks mainly like believing what He says, taking it seriously, and then asking Him for His help to do it. Believe what He says, ask for His help. Now, with that in mind, here are a few specifics. Just going to zero in on a couple things that I think you would have us do. Number one, pursue community with his people. Pursue community. Now, for some of us, this is drastic because we're not doing this. But get to know some fellow believers. Develop the kind of trusting friendships that you need And I'm talking men with men, women with women. We don't need to make this problem worse. The kind of trusting friendships that you need to win. Now, look, this is hard, and it's slow, and it's it's inconvenient, and it's frustrating at times, but it's worth it. I was reading an article the other day. The author was talking about why so many... Christian men, men who profess to love Jesus, are struggling so hard with pornography. And the author made a good point, made an excellent case, that a huge part of the problem is that many men have no real friendships. They know guys, they have acquaintances, but they don't have real friendships with other men. They don't say, well, what's a real friend? A real friend is somebody who actually knows what you're going through, that you're honest with, who will pray for you, who when you talk about the temptation won't laugh it off and say, oh yeah, well that's just, you know, being a guy. People that you will trust enough to confess your sins to. 
See, the Bible says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, I kind of like the pray for one another part. It's that confessing my sins to somebody. That's the scary part. And it doesn't say confess your sins to everybody. To one another, there's a, there's a one another, there's a kind of one another that's a trusting one another, a confidential one another. I can trust you with this. Look, confession is scary, but I'll tell you this, it is so liberating. It is so liberating. This is the kind of sin that flourishes and thrives in secrecy. And you think, I just can't share this with anybody. They'll think I'm just horrible. Take the risk. Because you remove the secrecy, you remove a great deal of the power of the temptation. The Bible also says, encourage one another daily. Look at that word daily. As long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. That's what happens, right? We're in this environment of of deceitfulness. Of, yeah, hey, look at this. This is great. This won't hurt you. This isn't bad. And, And we get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We get calloused. Okay, what does it say to do to not get hardened by sin's deceitfulness? Does it say pray? No. Is prayer good? Yes. Does it say read your Bible? No. Is reading your Bible good? Yes. What does it say? Encourage one another daily. That's what we need to win the fight. Daily encouragement. Once a week's not enough. We need the kind of relationships that will help us daily. Do, do not believe the lie that you can beat the, win this battle on your own. You can't. Now, there's a resource I've listed on your uh, note sheet. This is for men. Uh, I know this is not just a male sin, um, but men and women tend to struggle in different ways. And men, if you're struggling with this and you're reluctant, and, and women tend to have more friends. If you're struggling with this, and you're reluctant to take a friend into confidence because you either don't have that kind of friend or you're just not able to do that right now, uh, here's a good resource for you. You and I need the help of others who know Jesus and follow Him. We need to do what He says. He says do this. Be in community. Encourage one another. Confess your sins to one another. If we don't do what He says, we shouldn't be surprised when we fail. It's not just about willpower. It really isn't. Number two, fight past the fantasy to see the humanity. Let's say you find yourself in a situation where you're tempted to lust, and you know what you ought to do is flee, because that's what the Bible says. You should get off the couch. You should avert your eyes. You should put down the book. You should exit the website. But you're struggling because, you know, frankly, you don't want to. What you want to do is lust. Well, it's always best to avoid those situations in the first place, okay? But like I was saying earlier about, you know, walking by Victoria's Secret or whatever, when you're faced with a temptation, the way, one of the ways to fight it is to force yourself to think about that person you're tempted to lust for as a person. Think of them as somebody's little girl, somebody's daughter, somebody's son, somebody's brother or sister. Would you want your child, would you want your mother, would you want your sister lusted over? They're not a thing. They're not a toy. They are a person created in God's image. They need to know God. 
and you have no right to use them. You are required to treat them with love and respect. So force yourself to think about the truth of who they are instead of this airbrushed, implanted, phony image that's not real. Or, if you need a stronger dose of reality, sometimes we need stronger medicine, take a minute and think about broken families and messed up kids. I have a son who's working at a shelter for for women and children, struggling with addiction, broken families, all kinds of... And the stories he tells are so heartbreaking. You know what contributes to a lot of those stories, if not most of them? Lust. Sexually transmitted diseases? How about little babies torn apart by abortion? That's what immorality leads to. See, and to tell ourselves it's sort of this victimist sling, it's just fun to look at and everything. No, that whole culture results in a lot of dead babies. Think about the devil laughing at you because he hates you. And because he loves to twist the beautiful gift of sex into something demeaning and hurtful and selfish. And that brings me to the third and last. Do something to improve your fight. Do something. If you haven't been taking the battle seriously, start. If you're getting beat up, do something different. Okay? If what you're doing isn't working, do something else. Be willing to do what it takes to win. Now, I can tell you this. If you take Jesus seriously and you do what it takes to win, um, it won't be comfortable. It won't be easy. People will think you are very strange. You will be so out of sync. If you take Jesus seriously and fight lust with the kind of radical determination that he's talking about, people will consider you weird. And it's not our goal to be weird. Maybe you've met Christians like that. It seems to be their goal to be as bizarre as possible. That's not our goal. And it's not our goal to lecture people who don't know Jesus about how messed up the culture is. That will not help. And it's not, it is definitely not our goal to imply that in any way we are somehow superior to them. Because we don't do that. That's not our goal. What's our goal? Rely on Jesus. Show people who Jesus is. Show people that His way is always the best way. That's what we want to do. That's why the battle's worth fighting. Because Jesus is worth fighting for. Let's pray together. You bow with me. And I'm just going to camp on that final point. Do something to make your fight more effective. But do it as an act of relying on Jesus. Pray. Maybe you just need to go home. Maybe you need to talk with your family. Maybe you need to think through what are the things we do that unnecessarily expose us to temptation we shouldn't have to be exposed to, we shouldn't let ourselves be exposed to. What are we doing that inclines us to treat people as things instead of people? What are we doing that might appear or be dishonoring to God's good design? And if you're here today and you are getting beat up by this battle and you're hurting and you're feeling hopeless, 
Uh, I'd love to talk to you, encourage you if you'd like to come and talk to me or talk to a friend. Mainly what we need to do is we need to get our minds and our hearts on Jesus Christ and just confess to him how utterly helpless we are without him. Let's just take a minute and talk to him. Lord, your, your standards are so much higher than we can even imagine meeting, and we can't meet your standards in our own strength, Lord. We can't make ourselves righteous, but you have made us righteous in your sacrifice for us if we'll just trust you. So, Lord, help us trust you. If there's anybody here who hasn't taken that first step of saying yes to you, may today be the day. And Lord, may all of us trust you enough to fight the battles you tell us to fight with the seriousness with which you call us so that the world will know that there is a Savior. There is a God who is good and worthy of our trust and our worship. Help us, Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.